Inside Property Investing, episode 138. Welcome to the Inside Property Investing Podcast, where we dive inside the stories of the most successful and inspiring property entrepreneurs to share their successes, failures, and strategies, and help you plan your path towards financial freedom. Now, let's get started with your host, Mike Stenhouse. The UK's top property investors use finance to increase the momentum of their investing. Find out how by speaking to the multi-award winning broker team at Harvey Bose. They're more than just mortgage brokers, they're deal creators. Call them on 029-2175-4150 or visit www.harveybose.com to find out more. Hey Property Insiders, Mike Stenhouse here with another monthly update to wrap up everything that's been going on with my investing over the past few weeks. In fact, I've got a lot to cover today as this time last month I was enjoying my wedding day followed by a long break away from the office for my honeymoon. I've got some great content to share on how my own investments are progressing, some new deals that I'm working on and as always an exciting update on everything going on with the podcast as well. But none of that gets me quite as happy as being able to welcome back the undisputed king of property tax, Mr. Simon Mishevich of Optimize Accountants. Hi there, Mike. How are you? Very well, thank you, Simon. And yourself? It's great to have you back in one piece and uh, all loved up. Yes, absolutely. We are uh, still very much married, which a month into it, I'd say I'm pretty uh, proud of. It's good. Uh, good celebration weekend, Mike. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, one month anniversary today, so let's uh, make the most of it, but um, from a from a property point of view, Simon, obviously you join us regularly on these monthly updates to make sure all of our tax bills are as low as ethically possible and that we all have a solid understanding of what's going on in the property market when it comes to finance and accounting. After the hefty wedding bill that landed on my desk, that is not any more timely that couldn't have been better. So um, we have got a lot of great content to share today as always. And, you know, as I've said already, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Tell me, what are the main topics we're going to be focusing on today? I think uh, we may as well hit the uh, big white elephant that's in the room, uh, which is known as Brexit. And we'll also touch upon the budget announcement changes into some mitigation, which is some positive news. Fantastic. Well, let's start with the budget because the budget's been going on for what feels like forever now. It's been the topic of conversation since long before the announcements were made and it is still a really contentious subject amongst property investors. There are a couple of things that we're going to go into a bit of detail on, but just to, I guess, clear the air maybe a little bit. One thing that we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on today, but I do want to bring up because a lot of people have contacted us to find out if we can share any more information on it is a bit of information that has seems to have really gained in popularity over the last 24 hours based on a post on Property 118 about capital gains to be taxed as income. Now, in the budget, obviously, we saw that capital gains allowances uh, or capital gains tax rates were going to be reduced. And then there's this announcement that actually for property investors, George Osborne is going to stick it to us once again and uh, not let us have them. Not only that, it would be changed to be taxed as income. Now, Simon, in our conversation before we started recording, you said that although this has gained popularity over the past 24 hours, it's actually been on the cards for quite a while and there's still some uncertainty about whether or not it's actually going to happen. Yeah. So the background to this is many property investors, including myself, 
have used limited companies to buy and flip properties. And we've used those vehicles known as special purpose vehicles to make all the profits within the limited company and then sell that company and claim entrepreneur's relief, which is 10%. So the background to all of this is uh, the government have always seen this as, um, as a tax shield, which is unfairly being used for property investors in their eyes. So their tack of this is to look at the way that people are flipping properties in their limited company and say, well, actually, we do not want that to get the tax yield that you've been getting in the past. Therefore, we will start to tax that on income tax levels. So ultimately, what that means is, is that um, anyone that flips a property and we haven't got there, we, have, we need to get the data in terms of when this comes into effect and whether it's retrospective, because there'll be a lot of people that have bought properties right now uh, that are currently you know, refurbing that property and then to sell it in the future. So what we were going to do is next month, hopefully, Mike, is that uh, we'll come back and give you the full details of that. But just to give people a bit of a heads up, there is a change afoot, and the government will certainly enact uh, for any previous capital gains tax for it to be income tax instead. So that is going to affect most property investors that are doing development works. And uh, I think the government have labeled it as phoenixing because they're using one limited company and then selling the property and then doing it again in quick succession. And that is what they are trying to avoid. Hmm. I love the irony of that name, given that from everything I've read, the government seemed to be trying to uh, fly this one in under the radar as well a little bit. So, um, yeah, just frustrating. Feel, feels a bit like another nail in the coffin. But like you say, Simon, as soon as we have more information and a better understanding of the what's and the whens of this, we can maybe dive into it in a bit more detail and hopefully put some people at ease with regards to it. But for the time being, I guess it's just a case of wait and see. I think what it is right now, it, yes, we will certainly go into more detail uh, next month or the next couple of months. But I would say that people need to start thinking about this in terms of their strategy. One of the things that it doesn't go against is property developers that uh, will continue to, to make trades within a company for a long period of time. So these guys that are uh, buying one Property is going to be affected by this. But anyone that's got a property development company and looking to keep flipping properties, as long as they keep in that company for a long period of time, then they will not be affected by this change. Okay, good to know. Now, we had a specific question coming on the back of some of the stuff around the budget from Christopher Brown. And he was asking about, now that the dust has settled, uh, once some of the budget announcements were made, a few people were talking about beneficial interest company trusts. And there's a lot of conversation about these being unethical, unlawful, against mortgage lenders' terms and conditions. As I say, now that the dust has settled and we've had some time to ponder on the budget announcements, are there any legal or more ethical ways to get around some of the worst of the changes that were announced in the budget? Well, just to touch on uh, the various strategies that we've come across and heard about, certainly the beneficiary company trust is one of them. Using LLPs and then moving them into a limited company, um, using a partnership uh, as in a family business. There's a number of strategies, and I would say that um, each strategy needs to be identified and determine whether it works for that particular case. 
case being an individual, of course. Now, the, the, one of the um, accountants that we've come across who's got this right is Stephen Fay, who uh, co-writes with me within the, one of the magazines. And um, one of the things that we kind of agree on is if you have a couple that are working in property and have a significant amount of income coming from it, then they can put their properties into a partnership for about two years. Once it goes into a partnership for two years, then they can go into a limited company and they will not need to pay capital gains tax or stamp duty landing tax. That is a great positive. The one thing that we might we do need to be mindful is that you need to be working in property. So if you're an investor that has uh, income coming from all sources, then the partnership route really won't work. Um, It is only for people that work in property for the majority of time, I would say. Now, the Ramsey case in 2013 identified what's acceptable. What they've determined from the upper tribunal is acceptable is 20 hours per week working in that property business. So most people will say, well, I can clearly justify that. But they, it was shown that to work in a property business, you need to, in effect, manage the tenants within the property. You need to liaise with the third-party suppliers to get any refurbishment works and maintenance work done. Um, and you need to do kind of all the administration and paperwork that goes with it. So for most people, I don't think there is a, a good escape out there. Um, and just it, to be clear, is that is that both members of the partnership need to be working, you know, as good as full time in property, or is it just one member that needs to do that? Well, the Ramsey case, there was two people. Um, so whether HMRC will try and make a legislation change to say it needs to be two people, or it needs to be, you know, they need to demonstrate more of a business activity going on. Um, from our side of things, a partnership has to be partners. It needs to be two people or more. So you couldn't have a sleeping partner. They both need would need to be active in that partnership. So it is, it is potentially a, a, an outcome, a, an option for people, but the circumstances that you need to fit are pretty specific. So probably not going to be of a huge benefit to most of us. I, I would agree with that. The other things that I've been coming across – I would say that um, anything that you need to do in terms of tax mitigation, um, we're always advising our clients, just please speak with your mortgage broker. Please speak with your solicitor because most of the things that you hear about is always one side of the triangle and forgets the other two sides. So anyone thinking about doing anything in regards to their tax situation needs to pick up the phone to their solicitor and to their mortgage broker and get a more rounded approach in terms of their decision making. Okay. And in terms of other options then, what else is out there for us as investors? Is there anything or is it just a case of we need to embrace these changes, accept that they're part of doing business now and get on with making money as best we can? Yes. Well, I think there's there's been changes, and I think with any change, Mike, it's a bit of a rumble, then we get on with life. I think that's the way that we are. Um, the couple of things that we've picked up on, which are certainly positives in terms of um, the property investors, is if you decide to um, sell a property because you want to move it into a limited company and you're happy to pay the stamp duty, 
one of the biggest issues right now is the capital gains tax. So you might be thinking transferring to a limited company or just selling the, the asset altogether. Um, so if you are thinking about doing that, one of the CGT mitigation plans is EIS, so Enterprise Investment Schemes. And what that allows you to do is allows you to defer the 28% capital gains tax into the future and eventually mitigate it. Um, but it also, if you're an employee or have other forms of income, um, then you will have a 30% income tax relief as well. So if you invested, uh, let's say, 100000 you would get 30% tax relief against all your forms of income, which is a very positive. So, you, so both together, you're looking at about 58% tax mitigation plan, which I think is very effective. Yeah, that sounds fantastic and definitely something that should open up doors for a lot more people than the beneficial interest company trusts, which, as we said, you know, can be very limited in, in who they can benefit for. The other thing I think worth mentioning about the budget as well, Simon, I don't know if I'm sure, well, I'm sure you, you will have seen this from, from your clients and from your own portfolio as well, is that, you know, landlords and investors aren't necessarily taking the changes sitting down, particularly with the... the, the um, landlord fight back on the interest payments um you know we are we are standing up we are fighting back against it and there does seem to be some headway being made against some of the changes that have been announced clause 24 you know there are a lot of people that are supporting a fight against that i know steve bolton is at the helm of that sheree blair's throwing her hat into the ring so it is good to see people that are standing up and saying, well, hang on a minute, this is our business, this is our livelihood, and this isn't fair. Have you seen enough support, do you think, thrown behind this that we could see some of these changes announced in the budget reversed? Or do you think, again, that you know we just need to think going forwards that it's a, a cost of doing business and we need to live with it? I think we're always going to be in a world of change. Um, and as a result of that, before Brexit... I think we would have had uh, more of a chance. Now Brexit has happened and we're having to phase us out of the euro. Um, we will need to, as a government in this country, we'll need to be spending an awful lot of time on that. So the, the issue around landlords has been diluted in terms of the cry out for change or U-turns. Um, Brexit has therefore had a, a detrimental effect on any U-turn that we're likely to have. Um, but that saying that, unless we are doing something, then we will achieve nothing anyway. So the work that I see of Steve Bolton and uh, the likes are doing a great job. I'm not, like you, uh, hopeful that something will change. But I think we need to be working on the basis of it's gone. It's, it's, it's already here. So we need to start planning that way. I don't like the world of hope uh, without justification. So until change has been made, I think we start to um, plan. Now, the one thing I would say is something that came up on, in our discussions with other accountants and uh, barristers and the like was buying properties into a limited company is a lot more sensible approach anyway going forwards because there are so many things that you can do with that limited company for inheritance tax purposes, um, not having to take out the money anyway. So, you know, corporation tax is going to be 15%. So if you're happy to keep the money in a limited company, for instance, then that company will only be taxed at 15%. If you're a high-rate taxpayer anyway, then you're going to suffer 40% income tax. 
because you're taking all the money out in one go. So there are various reasons um, for using limited companies anyhow. And I do think that's uh, the, the world of being institutionalized. I think that's a word that's been bounded about uh, is certainly upon us now. And uh, I think we should start to embrace that. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And if I take anything away from today's session, it is just that I need to start thinking about the changes that are coming in in terms of how we can adjust and adapt to them, how we can change our strategies to make the most of it rather than, you know, sit and hope that things will change. As you say, it'll be great if we can fight back, but if not, we need to be prepared. And the sooner we start planning for that, I think the the more that we will be able to save in the long run. Indeed. So you brought up Brexit there as well, which will make it a nice transition into our second subject. Obviously, slightly more recent and just as topical, just as divisive in its uh, in its impact on us as, as landlords and investors. Now, overall, I guess it does have the potential to have a huge impact on the property market. But so far, things don't seem to have gone that badly. What's the general feeling about the property market post the Brexit announcement? Yeah, so we wrote an article on just at the back end of July talking about how Brexit really affects property investors. The one thing that we highlighted was the um, the interest rates we predicted, and it came off that the interest rates would fall. Uh, we have seen that, and that is a positive for, for us as investors because we'll charge or we'll be charged uh, less mortgage interest, and therefore we should start making more profits. So I'm not saying it's going to mitigate or alleviate the impact of the budget announcement changes, but I am saying that the rate of interest is now lower than it was before so we are seeing better rates now in the, the world of mortgages so i think that is a positive um i mean the whole thing around george osborne's perspective of budget was to try and uh, make homeowners buy homes rather than property investors um taking those homes up what we have seen is the contrary to that is, um, you know, as landlords used to be the competition for people trying to get on the property ladder. Now we're seeing stronger competition coming from the likes of China, Russia uh, and the Middle East because the currency is now so cheap. So uh, foreign investments have now shot up. Um, and as a result of that, it's more likely that uh, homeowners will fight face uh, stronger competition than ever before. So as land as landlords and investors, um, we, we've equally always had competition. I think we ho- will have less competition because landlords are now moving to a different sector. But we just need to be mindful now we've got this foreign investment competition going on as well. Yeah, it's a good point. And going back to your first point, I, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head with your prediction of the interest rate drops. Everyone said it wouldn't happen from a government point of view. You said, actually, based on uh, what we've seen, we think it will. And lo and behold, you were right and the government were wrong. But we, we got there and, you know, I think in the same article, you also mentioned something else, which I, I really enjoyed reading about. You said not just Brexit, but also Brentel, as uh, you coined the term. And I think that's really interesting as well. A lot of people said, well, if everyone leaves the UK, the rental properties are going to be sitting empty. In fact, you've seen an increase in demand, certainly in the short term. It looks as though the, the rental market is going to continue to be extremely buoyant. I've, the prediction that we had um, was only because we see that 
Uh, first time home buyers still will not be able to buy property in London, for example, um, or even anywhere lower than the Nottingham region, I would say, where we are, because the prices of the properties have increased. Now, the, with the things that we've seen in Brexit is that the, the average wage we're seeing as a decrease. So normally wages in, uh, go along with inflation. We are seeing that wages are going to be held at the current rates for the next five years. And yet property prices will still increase. I can't see them decreasing uh, to help, you know, 30, 40 percent, which is what would be needed to help people buy their own home. As a result of that, the population will continue to increase and therefore the rental stock will go up. I think what is sad about this whole thing, uh, George Osborne's uh, hope of getting people on the property ladder won't work because property prices will go up and wages will not. And investors like yourself and me will have to put up rent because of now this the budget changes are, is going to affect us. So the people that lose out are the tenants themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it always seems to be where it ends up regardless of what changes they try to bring in. You almost feel like if they just left the market to the, you know, the way a capitalist market should work, they, uh, they might actually achieve more progress in constantly meddling with it. But what do I know? Very little, if, uh, if, if anyone with any intelligence asks you anyway. Um, gives us a great update, Simon. I think there is a lot there for us to be thinking about as investors. And, you know, some of it is positive. There does seem to be some light at the end of the tunnel. Some of it there's still a little bit of uncertainty about. And as you said, we will hopefully touch on more of that in the future and try to clear up some of that uncertainty. But just before we, we wrap up and I move on to my own update, I know that you were very generous to offer our audience uh, a special rate for some of your services. So do you want to just talk me through what exactly they can take advantage of over the next month or so? Yeah, so we've, um, we know that there's going to be a lot of people out there that wish to know about their specific uh, situation. So we've um, given you a code, STENHOUSE40, which allows you to have 40% discount uh, from any of our consultation uh, services. Now, those can be on Skype, phone, or indeed face-to-face in London or Nottingham. And, uh, Mike, I guess you're going to give out the uh, URL for that. And you just type in the coupon Stenhouse40 and they can book a consultation call with us at any time that uh, fits for you. We do those calls Monday to Saturday. So I appreciate people are busy Monday to Friday. So we do have slots open there on a Saturday. Fantastic. I will absolutely put the link up to that. But for people who are listening to this and maybe want to jump on it without going onto our website, I guess they can book those consultations at optimizeaccounting.co.uk. Yes, so it's optimizedaccountants.co.uk and then services and there's a slot there for one-off tax advice. Fantastic. And they've got until the end of September, I believe, to take you up on that offer. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, that is extremely generous of you having gone through a consultation in the past. I know how valuable they are. Even if you don't go ahead with uh, any any further advice or guidance from Optimize, just having that initial sit down with someone who actually knows what they're talking about regarding tax and finance is extremely valuable. So definitely worth uh, making the most of that whilst the offer is valid. And thank you, Simon, from everyone who will take you up on that, I'm sure. Now, I have a few things to cover from my own point of view, Simon. So I will let you go at this stage and we will catch up again next month. Great. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, hopefully your month of celebration for being married goes all well.
Thank you very much, Simon. Now, before we go on to cover everything I've been up to this month, let's just take a quick minute to thank our sponsors. Harvey Bowes are a small but perfectly formed team of UK-based mortgage brokers. By working with a wide panel of lenders, they can find the best mortgage deal based on your specific requirements. You don't need to worry about dreaded pre-recorded messages and poorly informed call centre staff, as unlike comparison websites and high street banks, Harvey Bowes are expert property investors as well as brokers, meaning they're speaking your language and know how best to help your unique situation. Whether it's a simple buy-to-let mortgage or more specialised HMO finance, bridging, development finance or refinancing your entire portfolio, the team at Harvey Bowes put your best interests first. Speak to their multi-award winning specialist broker team today and discover the massive difference an expert broker can have on your property investments. Harvey Bowes are much more than just another mortgage company, they are deal creators. Call them on 029-2175-4150 or visit www.harveybose.com to find out more. It's always great to have Simon on the show to share his insights into the current trends in the property market regarding tax and finance. But equally, I love sharing my own property journey as well. Hopefully, it brings a bit of realism to the podcast, which can at times feel like everyone is doing phenomenal things and a lot of my guests are doing you know really truly inspiring and impressive things in the property world my journey is not quite as impressive at all times and as usual this month there have been some ups and some downs just back from over a month off really for our wedding and honeymoon and actually want to say to everyone who got in touch with their kind words and their uh, encouragement and their their praise for our wedding uh, really nice to hear from all of you um, so to everyone who did get in touch with with those kind words thank you so much for taking the time to do that it meant a huge amount to to myself and victoria but having been away for a month you'd expect it to have been quite quiet but actually there's still been a lot going on in the background One thing that unfortunately fell apart whilst I was away was the refinancing of Broadhurst. So Broadhurst is the six-bedroom HMO that we finished back at the start of 2016, maybe uh, around about February, March time. And it's been fully tenanted for a number of months now. And we've been working through the refinancing of that. We are using a product from uh, Kent Reliance, which actually gives us 85% loan to value. So we're getting a good amount of money back out of it. Um, We should leave very little cash invested in it. So it's gonna be a great return on investment for us. But the whole process has been really slow for a number of reasons not least of which was the fact that my uh, conveyancing solicitor that had been using reliably for five or six years now unfortunately left the firm that she was at to go on maternity leave and she's not actually going to be returning there she's going to be setting up her own practice so I uh, was passed over to another member of staff at the same firm and it's not been as smooth as I was used to Um, so that that caused a few delays early on seem to be working a bit better together now but Ultimately, I thought and hoped that it was going to complete whilst I was away. Um, But unfortunately, the conveyancer came back with a list of problems as I was sat in Heathrow Airport waiting to to fly out for the wedding. 
couple of things that were the the major problems, the major holdups, and I want to run through these just in case you come across similar things when you're refinancing any of your properties. First of which was a really simple one to overcome, but when you're not sat at your desk, it became a bit more difficult. The lender needed a full copy of the HMO license, so they'd been sent a copy of the front page, which basically says what property has been licensed. So it's got the address on there, the name of the license holders, the dates that it's valid from, and they were happy with that. But as it came close to time to requesting the funds, they said, actually, we need a copy of the whole license to make sure there aren't any conditions in there that we wouldn't be happy about. Fairly standard practice, but just something that we'd overlooked. And sitting in Heathrow, I didn't have a copy of the license on me. It's a paper copy that I had in my office. Thankfully, the HMO officer and our local council is is great. A quick email to him. Uh, and within a few days, he had it over to the conveyancer. So that that was one minor thing. Um, but you know, just making sure you've got little bits like that tidied up before you decide to disappear for a month. It's my own fault, really. I should have had that one crossed off easily. The other thing that became a bit of a problem was that the lender wanted uh, an ins- what's called an Insolvency Act indemnity policy in place. As I was transferring 50% of the property ownership to Victoria, I bought it entirely in my own name. And for a number of reasons, we've made the decision to, to put 50% of it in her name. Unfortunately, though, the only insurer that my solicitor could find who would insure me in my circumstances wanted three years worth of accounts for me, uh, which I don't have as I've only been self-employed for a little over a year. So that was a bit of a stumbling block. Um, not much I could do. I, I was kind of in the, the hands of my convincer there to try and find a solution. And thankfully, it seems as though um, with some discussions with the uh, the lenders, underwriters have said, actually, that's fine. Um, we, we were still happy to proceed without having that indemnity policy in place. But it just goes to show, you know, a lot of us are so keen to leave the day jobs behind. When we do that, it does create additional problems when we're looking at property investing. The most common one, obviously, is, is getting mortgages on properties. Uh, if you don't have track record if you don't have provable income it can be very difficult but you look at things like this as well even just something as simple as transferring 50% of the property uh, you know giving something that I already owned away I couldn't do that because uh, because of my situation because I didn't have three years worth of self-employed accounts so little things like that you don't even think about but there are a lot of implications of leaving your job and uh, in most cases for me it's actually been okay because Victoria is still in full-time employment she's been able to to overcome a lot of the obstacles that we've come up against uh, and it's always great if you can be in that situation where one of you can focus on property full-time and the other 50% of the partnership still has that provable income but in this case unfortunately that wasn't even good enough so actually my conveyancer did do a great job there in, in uh, getting the, the lender on board despite me not meeting the criteria. HMRC were also taking a really long time to report back on the stamp duty land tax. This was a little bit complicated. Obviously, the changes to stamp duty land tax came in earlier in the year. And because I was transferring 50% to Victoria, they wanted to charge some sort of stamp duty land tax on that. And there were questions raised about should it be the value that I bought it for, more likely the value that it's actually worth now. Um, was there consideration? Yes, because she's getting a mortgage on it should she be paying it on just the portion she's getting the mortgage on or the full 50 percent that she's going to be owning 
and a whole host of complicated questions that my conveyancer didn't know the answer to wanted to get a report from HMRC to try and ultimately she, she had our best interests at heart she wanted to make sure we were paying as little tax as possible uh, but HMRC just weren't responding I think she was waiting for about two months before she finally got a response on that and she didn't want to pull the trigger to complete until she knew what situation we were in as obviously your conveyancer is liable for making sure stamp duty is, is paid then there was um, buildings insurance, uh, another request from the, the lenders just saying they wanted uh, their interest noted on the buildings insurance. Not a problem. This is quite common and it's something that your insurance company will be able to do very quickly. Uh, but again, not being in the office, it took me a bit of time to get in touch with the insurance company to find my policy numbers, track through emails to find the, the specific policy that this property was on get the request in and not a big deal but took a couple of days again to get sorted out just to to show that the new lender Kent Reliance uh, they had that their interest shown specifically on the insurance policy there's also a bit of a change of circumstances obviously as we're now married um, it meant that we had to send a letter to the lender outlining this change in circumstances just making sure all the T's were crossed and I's were dotted. It was a bit of a faff, a bit of a, a bit of paperwork that you know ultimately wasn't really necessary. But we had to report to make sure that we were doing everything properly. That our circumstances had changed. We were no longer single. We were now married, and because we hadn't completed before the wedding as we thought we would, that then meant we needed to get this letter, send it to our conveyancer. They needed to forward it to Kent Reliance. We then needed to wait for a response from them to make sure that they were still happy with the offer that they'd made because our circumstances had changed since they made that offer. To make matters worse, just as we thought we were getting somewhere with all of the previous points sorted out, the mortgage offer actually expired at the end of uh, July, either the end of July or mid-August, somewhere like that. Anyway, um, so it just goes to show, I mean, you know, it's not often mortgage offers expire before you get the chance to complete, it just goes to show how long we had been working to get this one sorted out. So again, another delay going back to the lender and saying, you know, mortgage offers expired, client still wants to proceed, but can you please renew the mortgage offer? And thankfully they have renewed it quite happily. So again, not a major issue, but just all of these little things added up at the wrong time. Had they been sent to me a week before, they would have all been sorted out within 24 hours, but the difficulty of being away um, just added a little bit of complexity to it. So I'm hoping that this time next month, by the time I'm doing the, the update for the end of September, we should be refinanced on that. It is costing a small fortune at the moment with bridging costs and, and everything else that's associated with that. And it would just be such a relief and a, a nice boost to our income as well once we get this refinanced and um, get onto a proper HMO mortgage because, as I say, the bridging is, is costing us an arm and a leg at the moment. So that will be a real bo boost. And uh, probably just worth thinking about that as well for a, you know just a brief moment as well. People often think that increasing your income is all about buying more properties, but in a lot of cases, just figuring out cheaper sources of finance can increase your income significantly. Um, in this case, we're going to get a good chunk of money back out, which will allow us to reinvest, but our monthly outgoings will also be reduced significantly as well. So often cases, the easiest and the quickest way to increase your, your income is to look at what you've currently got at the moment and how you can maximize your profit on that. And one way to do that is, is to refinance.
You'll probably also be aware if you've been paying attention to any of the social media channels that the planning application for Churchgate was rejected recently by the Stockport Area Committee. Now, Churchgate is the 10-11-bedroom HMO, commercial-to-residential project that we're working on. Um, it's It's been going on for a while. We went in there really optimistically hoping that they would grant it. The planning officer had said that they supported it. The highways officer had said that they supported it. The HMO officer said that they supported it. But the whole process, now that I've sat through it, seems absolutely bizarre that despite all of these people employed to do those specific jobs, to look after the planning, to look after the highways and the roads, to look after HMO licensing and regulations, despite all of them with their you know, combined knowledge recommend it for approval, a group of councillors with little to no property experience can go against their recommendation and reject it on reasons that, you know, ultimately are, are pretty unfounded. The two reasons that they came back with for rejecting the application on this one were parking and room sizes. And, you know, as I said, unfounded is probably the polite way of putting it. Frankly, crazy if you ask me that they're able to reject it for these reasons both of which were addressed fully in the planning application parking for a start as i mentioned the highways officer approved it we carried out a full parking survey as part of the planning application to make sure that this wasn't raised as an issue it was carried out over a number of months and we were there taking pictures and doing written surveys of the number of cars on all of the streets around the area in residential areas business areas where there was free parking permit parking pay and display parking and um, you know we, we proved categorically along with support from the highways officer that this building that we were hoping to create wasn't going to add any burden to, to the road system the 10-bedroom HMO is going to create significantly less traffic than keeping it as an office, which could easily house 30 or 40 staff on a daily basis. But as I said, the councillors went against the highways officer and said, no, we want some more conclusive proof that this is the case, that 10 people living there are going to have fewer cars than 40 people working there. So that's uh, one challenge that we've got to overcome. And the second one, the room size is equally crazy if you ask me there are strict guidelines and regulations stockport council has their own copy of hmo amenity standards which are very similar to most of the the councils throughout the uk um most of the rooms in this hmo the proposal are around 14 square meters with on suites there's a small number of bedrooms that are going to be without on suites and they're around the 10 square meter mark which is within the, the double bedroom limit and significantly bigger than the six and a half square meters that they request for a single bedroom. And the frustrating thing is the councillors have openly said that, and I'm kind of paraphrasing or quoting here, that this type of house will attract the wrong type of people to the area. Like, never mind the fact that the rents for each of the rooms in this house are going to be higher than most mortgages in Stockport. They've made this emotional, uneducated decision based on preconceptions of what an HMO is, probably harking back to, you know, their days as students or watching the young ones where they think, you know, you're bringing in transient people that are going to bring down the area, 
everyone that we are targeting here are going to be employed in well-paid jobs and you know it just it, it it's it's infuriating, really. That you know we are trying to create homes where Stockport Council have openly said there's a huge demand for homes. HMOs make up part of their overall planning plan, their housing plan over the next five years. But the councillors, again, you know they've gone against all of that. They've gone against Stockport amenity standards for HMOs and said that no, we don't like the idea of it. So you can't have your planning permission. Anyway, we've brought on uh, Linda Wright as the planning consultant to help us figure out if we should appeal or revise and resubmit the application. If you don't know, Linda is probably the most experienced planning consultant in the UK, certainly that I know. She's been on the podcast before. She is a phenomenal force when it comes to planning, and it will be interesting to see what recommendation she comes back with. I'm delighted to have her. I probably should have involved her from the start. Lesson learned. We will certainly do that in future. Um, but yeah, it will be, uh, be interesting to see what her view is on it, how she suggests we proceed from here to get planning permission granted. And obviously, I will let you know exactly what she decides and in terms of the way that we should progress. And I will keep you all updated with how things do progress over the course of the coming weeks and months, although hopefully, obviously not too many months Aside from these two ongoing dramas, other aspects of our property journey are looking pretty positive, which is nice. So firstly, we've just finished the renovation on a five-bedroom HMO for one of our investors. This was transformed from a three-bedroom terraced house and is now fully let out. And then we completed on this April-May time, so the, the, the time frame to buy it, renovate it and get it fully lit has been very quick which I'm extremely pleased of. Um, we originally told the investor to expect around 400 to 425 per room and most of the rooms have actually let out for £475 a month which is amazing. The project, the actual renovation work was completed in around 10 weeks and cost us a little over £40,000 but I've just written a blog on the Inside Property Investing website that details every penny we spent on this. So if you're curious to know exactly what a budget for a big full-scale HMO renovation on this size of house looks like, check that out and it breaks down exactly what we spent on all of the different elements of the renovation project. One thing that uh, I, I hear a lot is that people think you can turn a family home into an HMO for a few thousand pounds. But my belief and my experience tells me that to do it right costs a lot more than that. And of course, I'd only ever recommend doing it the right way from day one. This house was bought for only 87 and a half thousand pounds and with a total investment of around 130 by the time you add in buying costs and renovation costs, it's giving our investor almost Actually, I think it might even be slightly over a 20% gross yield, which she's obviously absolutely delighted with. If you've been thinking about buying an HMO in the Northwest for a while, but never quite found the time, then let me know and we might be able to help you move your dream forward. It's something that we are helping a lot of people with at the moment, and obviously we'd be delighted to help you. Equally, if you're looking to invest in other parts of the UK on a more hands-free basis, I've got recommendations from some past guests and some contacts of mine of people who offer a similar service across the UK. So I'm happy to connect you with the right people 
um, if, if you want to get in touch with me I'd, I'd be delighted to do that I also said during my last update that I wanted to take on a larger development project and it looks like I might have found a winner here I went to view it just before I left for the wedding but didn't have time to do anything with it and thankfully when I got home it was still on the market and I'm actually waiting for a call back to get our offer in on it before I do that though I'm going to have a chat with a couple of people about valuing the land and valuing the GDV the the gross development value what it's going to be worth at the end and also how we value the build cost I've got a pretty good idea of this but one of the great things about having done this podcast and just generally being involved in the property scene is that I've got a great network of people who've got so much more experience than me. So a couple of them have offered to take a look at the figures and help me work through it and just make sure that my calculations are correct before we do get overcommitted to something without fully understanding it. Whether this specific one goes ahead or not, I am really committed to getting a larger development buy-to-sell project secured by the end of this year. So as soon as I have something more tangible to share with you, I will, of course, make sure that you're the first to know. It's been on the radar for me for a while to step up to slightly larger projects, and I genuinely cannot wait to get started on something like this. It's a great position to be in now where I've got the monthly income coming in from the HMOs and the rental properties. So I can now take a little bit longer to focus on a project that will have a massive boost on our cash pot, albeit further down the line. I've also just started my newest property investment mastermind group and I've got such a great group of people involved in that. It's great to see them all sharing ideas and getting advice from them. Obviously, there are people in the group working on HMOs and serviced accommodation, but also investors who focus on developments, single lets, holiday lets, and everything in between. There's a huge amount of energy in that group and great ideas being shared already. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I'm running a couple of free webinars later in September about how you can create and run your own mastermind groups. They've had such a massive impact on me and my personal success that I want to introduce this way of networking to as many people as possible. And I figured a couple of free webinars running through everything from how to find people to be part of your group to the technology to use and the format for mastermind meetings would be the best way to do this. You can reserve a spot on one of these webinars at insidepropertyinvesting.com forward slash mastermind and of course the recordings will be shared afterwards for a while so if you can't make it to one of the specific sessions sign up anyway and I'll make sure that you can still access all of the content that I'm sharing on them. So that's about it in terms of an update for this month. There's still a lot of uncertainty as you can tell around my investing at the moment but hopefully within the next few weeks I'll be able to close some of these loops and be in a much stronger position to move forward. Whatever happens though, you know I'll be back next month to let you know how it's going anyway. Whether it's positive or negative, I always like to share the honest truth about how my own property investing journey is going. Until then, enjoy the interviews that I've got lined up throughout September. Make sure you take advantage of Simon's great offer for 40% off your consultations with Optimize Accountants. Sign up for our mastermind webinar in a couple of weeks. And if you need help with your own HMO portfolio, just give me a shout for a chat and I'd be delighted to talk you through some of the options there. I'll talk to you soon and I hope you have an amazing month.
Well everyone, that's the end of another show, and another great guest giving some hugely valuable insight into their own property journey. I hope it's got you fired up to get out there and take some action. But before you head off to take on the world, it would mean so much to me if you could take 30 seconds to click into iTunes, search for the Inside Property Investing Podcast, give us a rating, and leave a few words as a review. Thank you. (laughs) 